0: A great deal of research has been done, surveys conducted, scholars looking over data. We have found the most motivational image ever known to man. You want to see it? Get ready. There you go. Yes, that uh, poor little kitty hanging from the strings, I mean, hang in there. It has brought strength to the most discouraged hearts throughout the land, and so it has been hung in places of honor in many offices and places of business. Uh, Wherever someone might feel a little bit down, they can cast their visage upon the poor little kitty and uh, gain strength. Not buying it? No? Okay. Well, it was worth a shot. Yeah, I mean... Uh, We have all these motivational things, that sort of stuff, just trying to get us to lift our spirits, but the simple fact is sometimes the going is rough and simple platitudes just ain't enough. We need more. We need reasons to keep on. We need to know that what we're doing matters. We need substance. We need something that's a little bit more than just a simple sentence, because one thing about humans is we can endure a lot we can go through a lot of trouble a lot of suffering because if we see that there's a point to it if there's a reason if there's something that really matters we can bear up under the strain we can keep it going we can all we need is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel the book of Hebrews was written to Christians that were feeling pressure, Christians who were suffering, Christians who felt the strain, Christians who needed a reason to keep going. They weren't feeling pressure necessarily from Rome, but from their communities. These early Jewish Christians were feeling the pinch from their families, their friends, and so on. And The pressure was to reject that silly Jesus talk, go back to the way things had been, return to the old ways. Come on, these have served our community well down through the generations. Why would you need to leave it behind for that Jesus fella? This book is written for them. Now there is a lot that we don't know about this letter. The author is never stated. Sometimes it's been speculated to have been Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, Barnabas, or others. We just don't know. It seems that the author was known to the recipients. There seems to be a familiarity there, but nobody bothered to keep track of it. We know that the recipients were Jewish Christians, hence the name, Hebrews. There is an old joke about husband and wife were arguing about uh, you know, who it was supposed to make the coffee and... She said, it's in the Bible. You're supposed to do it. He said, what? What do you mean? She opens the table of contents, points to the word Hebrews, and says, there you go. <laughs> now, that's not a reference to coffee. It's a reference to the recipients. Hebrew Christians. But we're not sure where they were. You know, We don't think it was Palestine, the area there with Judea and Galilee. We think it was probably more likely out throughout the Roman Empire, maybe even Rome itself. Like I said, there's some things we just don't know about this book, but the message is known. As a matter of fact, the message comes across very, very clearly to us. To these pressured Christians, it's a book of encouragement. It's a message to stick with Jesus, to refuse to be moved by the pressure, to continue on following Christ. And you know, Now that we're in kind of the back of the New Testament, you're going to be hearing a lot of that. Because these Christians kept getting pressure and persecution, being told, let it all go. And to that, we keep being told, stick with it, Jesus is worth it. And it's a relevant book for us because we live in a culture that is very happy to support us doing anything we wish to do except follow Jesus. Be who you want to be as long as it's not a Christian. Follow who you want to follow, whether it's a sports figure, some idiot on TikTok, or anything like that. Follow whoever you want to follow, just so long as it's not a Jewish carpenter. Live your life in any way you wish, just so long as you are not bringing glory to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the message we keep getting. Sometimes they try to hide it, but friends, that's the message. We feel pressure. So this book of Hebrews really should resonate with us because it tells us to remain in Christ, that what we are doing matters. This Jesus we follow is worth it. And to encourage us as we follow him, we learn about the greatness of Christ. The very opening of this letter points out how great Jesus truly is. The first few verses go like this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now throughout this letter, the old covenant of the law and the new covenant in Christ, they are compared and they are contrasted and we keep finding out Jesus is greater. At every point, we find out Jesus is better. It's not the type of thing that sometimes you'll see when we compare and contrast stuff. Oh, this is better over here. This one might be about even. That one might be a little better over there. No. At every single point, at every turn, Jesus is greater. The author starts out pointing about prophets. The old covenant, the law, they used prophets. They would call people back to this agreement they had with God. It doesn't really say much about the prophets here because the recipients would have been familiar with them. The Jews knew their prophets. They knew Elijah. They knew Isaiah. They knew them all, and they were great men. Some women, even well, the great the women were great women, but you know you know what I mean. These were people who were used by God to call His people back to Him. But you know what? They were mere humans. Elijah was just a guy. Wasn't that different from us? They were used by God to speak to his people, but they were still normal people. They were sinners just like us. When Isaiah is called and commissioned by God, he says, Wait a minute, I'm a man of unclean lips. From a people of unclean lips. He knew his own sin. They were like us. But the new covenant, the new covenant is brought by the son. Just like you find out in any business that's a family business, the heir outranks the employees. The son of the boss. is going to matter a little more than the rank, of the rank and file. Because the Son is eternal here. Jesus is himself God. He didn't just come to inform us of sin. He came to bring forgiveness for sin at the cost of his own life. And now the sun it says, rests at the right hand of God, superior not just to these prophets, but also to the angels in every way. Now, sometimes we Christians, we can get wound up about angels because, you know, angels is a nice, pretty idea. You know, we get this idea of, you know, the people in the white robes with the wings and all of that. You know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings or something like that. Or nowadays, there's a lot of memes about biblically accurate angels where you get wheels with eyeballs all over. Do not be afraid. <laughs> Which, yes, yeah, is a little bit truer to how they're described. You know, the reason angels always tell humans to not be afraid why? Because they, they're, they're, they're terrifying. You know, they show up, they're heavenly, they're powerful. It's not just, oh, we're surrounded by angels, it's, oh, we're surrounded by angels. But we get get so focused on the angels and we forget angels are God's messengers. Jesus, meanwhile, is God's son. There was a tradition in Judaism that the law was given by angels, that God gave it to the angels, the angels gave it to Moses. You know, heavenly UPS, where they actually don't lose the package. Can you imagine Moses up there on the Mount Sinai? How'd they bend a stone tablet? No. <laughs> One brings the message. The other embodies the authority. The sun outranks the angels. You know, we Christians, you know, angels are fine, but they're not Jesus. Jesus. He matters more. Jesus isn't just a messenger from God. He's the son of God. He has the nature of God. And what that means is the covenant he brings, is, it's superior, absolutely superior. And that superiority begins with the one who brought it. Is the law great? Yes. Jesus is better. Is the Old Testament the word of God? Absolutely. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. There is no point at which the old covenant can possibly stand to Christ. And seeking any other means to God is a downgrade. It's not as good. Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father but by me. And we say, well, you know, Jesus, that's being a little exclusive. Do you have other options? Let me put it like this. Nowadays, any of you rent a car at an airport where they do the thing where it's like, oh, just go pick something out of this aisle? It's kind of nice because you get there and you're like, okay, now I get get some type of choice whether I want the beige box or the blue one. (laughs) But imagine, they say, okay, here you go. You know, aisle 14, just go pick something. You walk into aisle 14. And there, as you start walking down it, 1978 Ford Pinto, rusted out, you step around it, you just don't want to accidentally hit that rear bumper. What else they got? Next car, a Yugo. You look at it and think, oh, does it have a rear defroster? That'll keep my hands warm while I'm pushing it. And you look down that aisle and it's piece of junk after piece of junk after piece of junk. And then you see down there at the end, a brand new Rolls Royce. Now you're talking. Look at your spouse. We're rolling in style, honey. Which one are you going to pick? The Yugo, that clapped out piece of junk, the Pinto. I mean, some of you, you know, you like living dangerously. No? It's the rules, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know which one you want. Anything else is not just a step down. It's, just, it's a step so far down, it's just ludicrous. If you picked anything else, you know, somebody could you know, say, you know, I'm not sure this person's right in the head. Folks, that's what it's like. When we choose someone other than Christ We have downgraded And not just a little bit All the way When we have the son Friends what more might we desire No other carries the authority No other has the knowledge No other has purchased our pardon Friends none is greater than Christ Why would we look for any other? This message to stick with Christ starts on that foundation, that he is greater. And then he spent, the author spends the middle of the book pointing out that what Jesus has done for us surpasses everything else. It's not just that he is greater, but what he did is greater. The old covenant with the law could not possibly compare. We find this in chapter 4. Because he is great, but also because his work is superior. Friends, what our Jesus did is amazingly great. The author uses the image of the high priest here. He talks a lot about it because theologically a lot goes in to the high priest in the Old Testament. I could explain it all, but I'm pretty sure you all have other things you want to do today. It's fascinating stuff. The high priest is the fig- primary figurehead in Judaism. It's, you know, he is the one who goes to God for the people. He is the one who goes into the most holy place on the day of atonement with the blood of the sacrifice. He is the only one who ever lays eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, I know, we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. When the ark was moved around by the Jewish people, it was always covered. They were very specific in how they were to move it. They you had long poles that slipped through rings on the side. It'd be carried by a very specific family of Levites. The average Jew never laid eyes on it. It was that mysterious to them. It was that holy. And so it was the high priest who would actually interact with it, who did the actual atonement work, but he'd have to do it time and time and time again every year. And the author of Hebrews points out Jesus is the ideal high priest, above and beyond any of those under the law. He experienced temptation, but he did not fail. You see, every high priest before he went in to offer that sacrifice of atonement had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. Because finally, the high priest was just some guy. A sinner like us. He wasn't perfect. Jesus, however, had experienced temptation... But never gave in. He's not some ivory tower academic type sitting in a tall building corner office and, you know, one of those nice tall backed leather chairs with, you know, one of those sport coats with the patches on the elbow, sitting in his desk with his fingers like this. You messed up. No, Jesus knows what it's like down here in the trenches with us. He understands the lure of sin. He felt the pull, the pull, but yet he never gave in. And when he calls us to repentance and to righteousness, he knows it's a difficult call. And Jesus, when he gave his sacrifice... He did so without having to make any sacrifice for his own sin. No, that's why he is our perfect sacrifice because he himself is sinless. He knows our temptation yet remained righteous. And that sacrifice he offered you know the high priest would have to go in every year on the same day and do it. You know how many times Jesus has been crucified? Once. He doesn't do it every year. He doesn't do it every generation. He doesn't do it every millennium. He did it once. Once was all was needed. For the sins before, the sins then, and the sins now, once was enough. You know, we're used to a world where we have tasks that never quite end. You know, a lot of you, you any of you ever spent what felt like all day doing laundry? And then you turn around after doing four, five, six loads, and what is there? More laundry. I've got a dog with long fur. I mean, it's nice, it's soft, it's glorious, it's silky. I mean, she looks like a fashion model. you, You know, Pantene would use her in their ad, she's that pretty. But you know what I'm always finding around the house? Fur. Everywhere you go, little tufts of Aussie fur. Doesn't matter how much we brush her, doesn't matter. I can vacuum. Yesterday, I kid you not, I grabbed a little handheld vacuum, hit a couple of spots. An hour later, a tuft of fur right in the spot where I hit. You know, they say Australian shepherds really just shed twice a year, six months in the summer, six months in the winter. It's true. Some of you, I think, probably had dogs like that. Our work never ends. Jesus did it once. He doesn't have to do it again. It was sufficient. The job is done. He is superior. So we get a better, a longer lasting, a more complete covenant in him. In every way, it's better. We receive actual forgiveness. We're not rolling it back with the blood of animals. It is truly forgiven. The rebellious sinner becomes the child of God in a covenant that will not be supplanted. The Old Testament is constantly looking ahead to the new. There's little bits here and there pointing out what is to come. Even Jeremiah said, there's going to be another covenant. You know what? We've got that covenant, and there will not be another. God does not have to supplant his son, for his son is sufficient. This is what we will have until the day Jesus comes again. O Lord, come quickly. We have a final covenant given to us by the very Son of God, and we turn to Him, Him who knows the lure of temptation, but was able to resist. He understands, yet He remained perfect. His work, truly great for us. And you know what? When we remain in Him, we also find promises that have no equal. In chapter 10, as the author continues we come to a focus on what is to come. The author says this, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. To these believers under pressure, there is a promise. Friends, it's not just Christ's person, his nature that is great. It is not just his work that is great, but his guarantees are great. We find a promise that we will find that which we seek. The the eternity we are yearning for, we will receive. These Jewish believers, they'd been suffering. They were at the very least cast out of their community when they accepted Christ. The community that's been their source of strength, their identity for them, out among the Romans, their entire lives. they've, They've known they didn't belong, but yet they had their friends, they had their family, they had their little community. And in accepting Christ, they were put out on their own, away from that which they had known. They don't belong with the Gentiles. They no longer have a home with the Jews. They've been cut off. Others have been sent to prison. Others had their possessions stolen or looted. Friends, these people had experienced real trouble for their allegiance to Jesus. Why did they endure this? They looked ahead to something more, a kingdom, a possession that's not of this world. They said, we're not in it for now. You can take my stuff. It's not that I like it. It's that it doesn't matter. Friends, I tell you what, following Christ is not for the faint if you you follow Jesus you're going to suffer, you're going to have problems. If you want an easy life, this is not for you. Go do something else. And you think, "Man, that's kind of weird. Preacher, aren't you supposed to make following Jesus sound attractive?" Well, it is attractive, but it's not easy. It's not simple. If you are going to follow Jesus, if you're going to say, Yes, I am going to serve him with my life, what you can get, count on is that people are going to look at you like you have lost your mind. What? Why would you do that? And they'll laugh at you, they'll mock you. You'll lose opportunities, you'll lose friends. The author goes on to give examples in chapter 11, the great faith chapter of the Bible. By faith, this person did this. Talks about all these people who had faith, who trusted in the promises they received from God, how they left behind the life they knew, how they willingly embraced suffering, some of them being killed in grisly ways. Makes a reference to being sawn in two. We think that was the prophet Isaiah. They were all looking ahead to heaven. Friends, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want heaven, you have to want it that badly. How much do you want the life that is to come? We need to want it truly and completely. I look around in here, I see a lot of married folks. Some folks who've been married, if you think back to when, you know, your relationship with your spouse was really taken off. You know, maybe you'd just gotten engaged. And, you know, when you're just so lovey-dovey, nobody around you can really stand it. You know, where you're just disgusting. Oh, I love you, too. I love you, too, Snooky wookums And everybody else over there in the corner losing their lunch. (sighs) Ugh, they're at it again. Hey, love's a wonderful thing, but sometimes you just don't want to see it that close up. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, guys, we, guys, okay, ladies, we guys can be romantic sometimes, you know, it doesn't always hit, but sometimes we are in our own way, and we'll, we'll think of these grandiose things, oh, honey, I'd do anything for you, I'd die for you. And we think we're making a grand statement. And 20 years down the road, you look at us and say, you die for me? Can you pick up your socks for me? We, want, we say we'll do the big stuff, but you know, will we do the little stuff? And sometimes in Christ, when we follow him... We'll make those big statements. You know, if soldiers came in here right now with rifles and other, th- you know, all sorts of weapons and they lined us up and said, you are either going to deny Christ or we'll shoot you right here. I'd let them shoot me. Well, okay, you'll die for Christ. You do the big stuff, will you do the little stuff? Are you willing to love Jesus enough to not get your way? Are you willing to love Jesus enough for something that you are going to take something that annoys you and just let it pass? Are you willing to love Jesus enough to forgive somebody that annoys you? And I tell you, I've dealt with a lot of Christians down through the years, and sometimes it, the answer I get back is no. No. I love Jesus enough to die for him, but I don't love Jesus enough to forgive that person. I don't love Jesus enough to let somebody else have their way. I've got to have my way. I love Jesus, but only if I can have my way. It's sad, really sad, because we make these big grandiose statements, but we don't often think about what it means day to day. Folks, these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they did the big stuff, but the big stuff is always made of little stuff. You clean the house by picking up a magazine. You follow Jesus by loving your neighbor as yourself. We say we want heaven enough to die for it. Will we want it badly enough to live for it? In the little ways and in the big ways, we resign ourselves, friends, to discomfort even trouble and suffering, so we can have what can never be taken. When you read over chapter 11, it, it, it becomes a beautiful, a beautiful tribute to their courage about how by standing for God, by, by turning their back on the things of this world, they suffered because they were looking ahead to something that would come that could never be taken away. Friends, this is a guarantee. That's why the author says, we are going to receive what is promised. But to get there, we have to endure. That verse 30 of chapter 10, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. You know, every now and then in movies, you get one of those great lines that just kind of makes you want to stand up and cheer. You know, Independence Day, when the president's giving his little speech where they all climb into the fighter plane. This is our Independence Day. Yay! Yeah. You know, there's real motivating things. This is one of those statements. Are we the ones that when we run into trouble, when there's something that happened we don't like, we throw a tantrum, we step back from the things of Christ? We say, no, I'm not going to do this because I can't endure that. Or do we take a step forward and say, yeah, this is what I signed up for. I will deal with this. I will endure it because I know where I'm headed. I want heaven. more than I don't want this. We have confidence. We need endurance to take hold of this promise. Knowing what is coming, knowing what we will receive, we remain in him no matter what. Whether we don't get our way, whether we are mocked, we are fired, we are marginalized, we know that God's guarantees are reliable. we are called to stand pat at one point in the gospels Jesus is teaching and as, his, as, th- as time goes on he gets a lot of followers and he starts telling them things that we call hard sayings of Jesus things that are not just hard to understand but hard to take and he's making some of those statements and people start filtering away they take a step back they turn around, they walk away. They're, I don't know that I'm signing on for this. And Jesus turns and looks at his 12 disciples. And he asks them a question. You too? Are you guys going too? Everybody else is leaving. Are you going to join them? Well, Peter, man, Peter had a mouth on him. But every once in a while, he uses the power for good. (laughs) And Peter, we see why he why he kind of becomes the leader of of the twelve here when he's the one who responds. He looks at Jesus and says, "Where else would we go?" Only you have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Only you will show us the way. Only you can get us to heaven. Where else are we going to go? We could walk away. But we don't want to give up eternity, Jesus. Where else are we going to go? He already knew Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Where else indeed are we going to go? Only Jesus Christ is supreme. Only Jesus has given himself for us, forgiving our sin and reconciling us to God. Only Jesus gives us the the promise of eternity and he's going to be good for it. All the wealth in the world, friends, won't buy us a ticket to heaven. You can follow any politician you care to, they won't guide you to the throne of God. Any movement, any community will not seal your eternal fate in Christ, friends. Only Jesus will do it. Where else are we going to go? The world will offer us everything else, but that's really nothing. They can offer us riches, they'll go away. They can offer us things, they break down. They can offer us popularity, but we still die. Jesus, meanwhile, offers us eternity. He offers us everything. Who are we going to follow? It's time to choose. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus, Lord, you have given us your eternity. You have given us the hope of heaven. You have given us redemption. You have given us forgiveness. You have given us mercy. You have shown us yourself. Lord, help us to follow your son. To make that decision, to live it out every day, to be willing, to be so eager and determined. That whatever comes, whether it's a little inconvenience, a little annoyance, or something big, Lord, help us to remain in your Son, Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.